pray this morning before we get started, and I ask every week, I ask again this week, uh, if you will pray with me, just where you are, just pray with me, that God would be really gracious to us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be uh, good to teach us, to encourage us, to convict us. Um, and, and on a day like today, when we have so much to celebrate, uh, the truth is there are a lot of us who have lost the joy of our salvation somewhere along the way. Um, pray that today uh, God would give us fresh and new the joy of our salvation. Will you pray that with me? Let's pray together then. Father, what a privilege we have to pray together. What a beautiful day that we celebrate here together. Um, we love you. Thank you for the day. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be especially good today to, um, to help us to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to convict in our lives where we need conviction, um, to, to restore to us the joy of our salvation with all that we have to celebrate and all that Jesus brings us. Give us fresh joy today and every day as we walk in the truth of the gospel. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was uh, thinking this week just about the story of Easter, and I, I, I love Easter. Um, I love the Easter story. What a great day that we celebrate. Um, but I was thinking about an, a story that I read uh, a long, long time ago and uh, just how it connects with Easter. And, and in this, uh, the story that I read, there was a, a town. It was a long, long time ago. Uh, there was a, a small town outside of a big city. And in this small town, um, most of the people either worked in the small town or they were farmers or rather worked in the big city or they were farmers in that small town. Uh, and so they depended heavily on the large city for groceries, for a lot of their food, for a lot of their supplies, for, um, for medicine, doctors, all of that, their jobs, their income. The city was very important to them. So there was a, a, a large river between the town and the city, um, and the river was very wide and very deep, had a strong current. And there was one bridge that went from the town to the city. So uh, in the springtime, the rains came and the river uh, began to rise, and the river uh, ultimately overflowed its banks. And it flooded the, the small town, and as it did, it also took out the bridge. Uh, that went across the river and to the city. So um, the t after the rains ended and after the floodwaters subsided, um, the town realized that the, the bridge was gone and they were separated completely from the city, and, and there was just devastation. Crops were lost. Um, their businesses, homes were lost. People were injured. It was a, it was a terrible time. Um, and, and so they began to uh, think, how can we span the gap of the, the river so that we can get the help that we need? One by one, they had ideas as the town gathered together. Um, and one by one, they, they shared those ideas. And uh, there were men who claimed to be bridge builders, right, who, who said, I think that I have an idea on how we can do this. So the townspeople heard the ideas, picked the one that they liked the best, and they began to um, gather supplies so that they could try to uh, rebuild the bridge and get help from the city. Um, the first bridge builder shared his ideas. They put all that they had into it and began to build the bridge. And it wasn't long before the waters um, took out all that they had done and destroyed their work. Another 
another bridge builder who had an idea. They said, we'll try your idea. And again, they gathered all of the supplies and they began to work. And again, the waters wiped out all of their work. So a third man who was one of the farmers who lived in the area, he had built bridges on his farm. Heavy equipment had gone across it. Animals had gone across it. He said, here's what I think that we should do, and I think that I can build, lead us to build this bridge uh, over the river. And so the townspeople once again gathered all of the supplies, and they began to build the bridge. And sure enough, it looked like things were going really well. They were a quarter of the way across the bridge. The bridge was holding up fine, and there was a lot of building excitement for the people as, as they believed in this bridge builder. Halfway across, everything was good, uh, growing excitement three-quarters of the way across, and the bridge began to shake. Um, and the shaking became worse and worse and more and more violent, um, and the people sc- scrambled to get off of the bridge and to uh, safety. And uh, as they did, the bridge collapsed, and all of their work was wiped out. The people were devastated, and they, they all gathered up what they had and headed back to town. And there was a small boy there who was still looking on at what had happened. And as he was watching, he saw a truck, a large truck, drive up. And some men get out of the truck from the other side of the river. And then another truck and another truck and another truck. And people had come from the city hearing that the bridge was out. And they began to work on the bridge from the other side. So the little boy ran back to the town um, to let everyone know what was happening. Um, From the city, they were able to span the gap and to rescue that town. And so because the bridge was built, there there was help. There was medicine, there was food, they could work again, the gap had been spanned and the people had been saved. There were several men in that town who claimed to be bridge builders, right? Each one of them brought a measure of hope to the people in the town. They worked hard, they devoted all that they had um, to building the bridge, and yet their efforts failed and they couldn't bridge the gap. The reason this story always comes to mind at Easter for me is because Christianity makes a lot of very similar claims. We recognize that there is a great gap that needs to be spanned, and as Christians, we claim to know the bridge builder. The gap that exists is is not between a, a city and a town, but as Christians, we know the gap that exists is between us and God. There is a great gap that exists between us and God. We understand that, that first of all, there is a God, and not just a God, but but the God, the creator of everything that is and the sustainer of everything that is, a giver of of life. And and that God is perfect and holy and and pure. He He is good. He is right. He is righteous. He's just. He is perfect in every way. He is light, and in Him there is no darkness. We understand that in Him there is no sin at all, no wrongdoing. We also know that we are not that. (laughs) That does not describe us. We, We know that as utterly pure and holy and perfect as He is, we are not there was a time, we know in our story, there, there was a time when humanity was good, when they walked with God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the world. 
Adam and Eve had a close personal relationship with God. He would actually come physically into the garden and join them. He was there with them. They walked with him and they talked with him. But then Adam sinned, and with that sin came the curse of death, and with that sin came the great divide. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 tells us that. This divide isn't all on Adam. We contribute to it ourselves. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 tells us. Our unholiness has created a gap. It has separated us from God. And nothing that we can do, right? This is the terrible news of this gap. Nothing that we can do will take away our own sins. There's no amount of good deeds. The Bible teaches us our good deeds amount to a pile of filthy rags before our holy, good, righteous God. The gap is enormous between us and Him, and there is nothing that we can do to to span the gap. Every sin that we commit, in a sense, expands the gap. But Christianity claims to know the bridge builder. Christianity claims that Jesus is the bridge builder and that Jesus is actually the bridge that spans the gap between our sinfulness and God's perfect holiness. Jesus, the bridge that spans the gap. The claims of Christianity are, 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 are in, in part this. We, we, we say that He is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, Jesus Himself said that in John chapter 4, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. And so we say with Jesus, no one can come to the Father except by Jesus, not by any amount of their good works. We say that if you, if you believe in Him, you will be saved. We say that because of John 3.16 that we read just a few minutes ago um, as one of those verses. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, whoever trusts in the work of, of all who, be- who believes in Him. We say that He is the Savior of all who believes. Romans 10 says that as well. Those are really big, big claims. These are the questions that humanity has had since the beginning of time. Like, how do we fix this brokenness? Every religion has man trying to fix his own brokenness. Christianity says we can't fix our own brokenness. We can't span the gap, but we know who can, and his name is Jesus. Those are all big claims, but there are other claims in Christianity. 1 Peter 1.8, he is our joy. He is our joy. In Christianity, we claim that the very center and heart of joy, lasting joy, true joy, can only be found in Jesus. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You do not see Him, yet you you believe in Him. You believe in what He's done. You believe that He is with you, loving you with a boundless, limitless love. And you have, because of this faith, because of Him, you have an overwhelming joy that you cannot explain. Romans 4, 25, He's not only our joy, but He is our peace. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Justification is one of those big theological words, but really what it means is to be declared innocent. 
to be, to be justified, to, to, be, to, to be right and in right standing with God. It's a legal term, declaring us innocent. In other words, those who believe in Jesus because of his work, trusting in what he has done, because of the blood that we were singing about earlier, through our faith in him, God looks on us and sees Jesus and declares us innocent. And that is a beautiful thing, justification. It's not just that we are not guilty, right? Like maybe there wasn't enough evidence. We are innocent. The, the evidence is there, and God sees plain as day because of Jesus, we are innocent. And, and if there was a separation, he has wiped it out, and now there is peace with God. We were enemies with him, and now because of Jesus, we have peace with him. Romans 1.4, he is our worship. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. In John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas saw that Jesus had been raised from the dead, Jesus was standing in front of him, and, and he could see the, the, the nail holes in his hands and his feet and the, the spear hole that that had pierced the side of Jesus, um, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, I, I, I see and I believe you are my Lord, you are my God. Jesus was no ordinary man. Thomas declared him to be, to be king, to be Lord, to be God. Paul also declared him to be deity. Right? This is the center of our worship, our victory. First. 15 verses 54. He's our peace. He's our worship. He's our victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Christ. We have victory over sin. We have victory over death. They are powerless because of Jesus. They are without any bite because of Jesus. The death he died, he died for us. He died so that we might live now and might live forevermore. He is our victory. He is also our hope, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I didn't want to take the time to read all the verses, what Paul said um, in this section. Prior to this, Paul is talking uh, uh, with the Corinthians about Jesus being raised from the dead, and there were some in the church that said Jesus had not been raised from the dead and that he was, in fact, dead. And Paul says, listen, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then 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 our Christian faith is absolutely meaningless. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, there is no hope for our future. If, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we should be pitied among all people. But Paul says, he has. Right? The, 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 the beautiful news, Christ has been raised, Paul said. And he was raised as the first fruit of a great harvest that will come. One day we too will be raised with him. Our resurrection, that, that is our hope. 
And, and with that hope, the resurrection of, of all believers, what a beautiful hope that is, a confident expectation. One day, one day when, when, when Jesus comes back, when the dead in Christ rise, I, I'll walk again with my grandparents. And I, I long for that day. I wish that they were, they were still here today, you know? One day I'll walk again with my, with my grandfathers. We, we have the hope of, of one day walking again with husbands and, and wives and, and parents and grandparents. We, we have the hope of being reunited with, with all of our friends and all of our family in Christ who believed, who trusted in Him. We have this confident expectation. The job that we have... And our hope is greater than the here and now. It's greater than the job that we have. It's greater than where we live. It's greater than anything this world has to offer. But all of these things, right? The joy, the peace, the victory, the worship, the hope. All of these things hinge on one thing. One very big thing. Listen, any, any man or woman could claim to be the Messiah. Anyone could claim to be the Messiah. In fact, throughout history, you can look, and there's a long list of people who have claimed to be the Messiah. Jim Jones did. He claimed to be the Messiah. Yahweh ben Yahweh was another who had a, a following who claimed to be the Messiah. Sun Young Moon claimed to be the Messiah. David Koresh claimed to be the Messiah. They are all dead. And they took with them many of their followers when they died. They are, they are all dead, and none of them have been seen again. Not one. The hope of their followers was misplaced. It was misplaced like all of those who, who placed their faith in those farmers or that farmer who said, I know how to bridge the gap. Our joy, our peace, our worship, our victory, our hope as Christians, it all hinges on one day, the day that changed everything. During the time of the Passover feast in Jerusalem, Jesus had just completed Passover, the Passover meal with his disciples, and, and he had gone to the garden to pray, a secluded place. As he prayed, a multitude of people, including soldiers uh, and religious leaders, uh, armed, they arrested Jesus. They took him to stand trial before the religious leaders, the high priests, the Sanhedrin. From there, he was quickly taken before Pilate, the Roman governor of the area. Pilate heard the charges. He questioned Jesus. He could find no reason to condemn Jesus. So he had the Roman guards beat Jesus severely. Beating Jesus, he thought, would appease the people. And, and since he could find no reason to crucify Jesus, he would appease the people and the people would let Jesus go and be satisfied. He beat Jesus, and then he let the Jewish people decide on that day who would die. Would it, be, would it be Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas was a known murderer. Known murderer. Pilate stood these two men before the Jewish people and said, Who will it be? Should we release Barabbas or Jesus? 
And the crowd began to call out for the blood of Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him, they yelled. Barabbas, the murderer, was released. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Three times Pilate, the highest authority in the land, declared that he could find no wrong in Jesus. Three times. Yet there he was, Jesus, condemned, beaten, mocked, and spit upon. An innocent man who had done no wrong at all, an innocent man was declared guilty. And Jesus was crucified. He would be buried in a tomb near body, and claimed it would order that the tomb be sealed and guarded so that no one could take the body and claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. A stone, a large stone, was rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. The guards were there to make sure that no one entered the tomb. I am sure that Jesus of Nazareth was not the first innocent man to be falsely accused. I'm sure that he wasn't the first innocent man to be tried, found guilty, convicted, and then killed. I'm sure that there were others before him and certainly since him who, who died terrible deaths, though they did not deserve it. So what? An innocent man was beaten and killed. Let me ask you this. When it comes to his death, why would we have joy and peace and worship and victory and hope in a dead man? Like, like, like why, why would we place our hope in a man who was so utterly defeated? man who died and was buried. What hope is there in that? What, where in that is there, is there joy? Where in that is there victory? John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on the uh, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself." Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these. She had to have yelled, He's alive. He's alive. She, she, she had to have yelled that. I just imagine as she's playing again and again in her head what had just happened as she's running to tell the disciples, he's alive, he's alive. She, she had seen him beaten and bleeding. She, she was there and saw the, the spear pierce his side and the water mixed with blood that flowed from the wound. She was there, and she, she saw him. She heard him give up his last breath. And she watched as they, they took his lifeless body from the cross. She saw them pull the huge spikes from his hands and his feet. Her teacher, her friend, the, the, the man in whom she had all faith and trust was dead. And so Mary came to the tomb to properly prepare his body for burial. In, in other gospel accounts, it says that she, she wondered how, when she got there, she would be able to move the great stone in front of the tomb. How amazed and confused and, and, and even frightened she must have been when she arrived and the stone had already been moved. All the questions that must have rushed into her head. How shocked she must have been to look into the tomb and find the body of the one that she loved so dearly gone. And so she began to weep. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with his trial. Overwhelmed with his brutal death in front of it. Overwhelmed with, with, with him being laid there in the tomb and the stone being rolled in front of it. Overwhelmed with all of it. And, 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 and now, after all that he had suffered, someone had stolen his body. Now they've taken his body. And as she wept, someone spoke to her. Woman... Why are you crying? Whom do you seek? Mary turned, but, but apparently thought that it was the gardener. Maybe she never really looked. If you have him, she said, right? The, the second time that she said this, if you, if you have him, she said, just tell me where he is and I will go and get him. Why was she crying? All that she had hoped for, all that she had dreamed of had been nailed to that cross. Her, her hopes and dreams had died there on the cross with him, and now, now even his body was taken. If you have him, sir, 
tell me where he is, and I will go and get him. Mary. When he called her name, Mary, she turned to him. How her heart must have sank to hear again that voice. To hear Jesus again say her name, Mary. She knew that voice. She, she knew him. And she turned and exclaimed, Rabbi. And she grabbed him, falling at his feet. She grabbed him and she held on and she didn't want to let go. How her heart must have leaped as she clung to her teacher and her friend. He was alive. He was right there. He was alive. Stop holding me, Jesus said. Let, let, let go. I, I have work to do. Go and tell my disciples what you have seen. Gosh, how she must have run. And how she must have cried such tears of amazement and joy. I, I, I've seen the Lord, she said. I've seen him and he is alive. Listen. Any man could have claimed to be the Messiah. Many have. Any man could have died on the cross. Many did. But only one could make Mary's heart stop that morning in the garden. Only one could turn her fears into overwhelming joy. Jesus. See, here's the thing. If our Savior was dead, what joy would we have if he were still in the tomb, how would there be peace? If Jesus had no power, whom would we worship? If death had not been defeated, how would we have victory? Had there been no resurrection, how could we have any hope for our future? He, he is our joy because he lives. He is our peace because he lives. We worship him because he lives. We have victory. Church, we have victory because he lives. We are forgiven and free because he lives. We have hope. What an incredible hope that we have. Our risen Savior is gone, but he's coming back to finish what he, was start, what he started. What, what hope that we have because he lives. He would, he would walk the Emmaus Road with two disciples after meeting Mary in the garden. He would show up where his disciples were and, and, and come into the room with them and even eat dinner with them. For 40 days, he would walk with them and continue to teach. More than 500 men witnessed the resurrected Jesus. We celebrate this day not because he died. We celebrate this day because death could not hold him. We celebrate this day because the tomb is empty and he lives. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful day that we celebrate. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, how incredible the news that our Savior lives. What joy and hope that we have because our Savior lives. We have forgiveness. We have peace with you because of him. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for this beautiful day. How I long to hear him call my name one day. And what a beautiful thing that I will. Father, thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.